Since I was a child, I've always measured my life in musical increments rather than months or years. My mind faithfully relies on songs, albums, and bands to remember a particular time and place. From 70s AM radio to every microphone I've stood before, I could tell you who, what, where, and when from the first few notes of any song that has crept from a speaker to my soul, or from my soul to your speakers. Some people's reminiscence is triggered by taste, some people's by sight or smell. Mine is triggered by sound, playing like an unfinished mixtape waiting to be sent. That, everybody, was Dave Grohl. Welcome, everybody, as we kick off season four of the Rockstar Autobiography Podcast. My name is Christian Overfield. And I am Martha Guzman, and we are the hosts of the Rockstar Autobiography Podcast. Join us every two weeks as we review autobiographies by the greatest and most famous musicians in history. I'm very excited, Martha. We are at season four. I know. Yeah, we, well, Who would have thought? Yeah, I thought. thought. <laughs> you thought. But all the fans behind us, you know, it's we turn around and we see these sea of people that are in lockstep <laughs> with us as we turn the pages. I'm very excited. We've got a brand new showrunner. Uh, we've got, you know, more money for more expensive sets, bigger yes. microphones. Okay. <laughs> I've even whitened my teeth because I want everything wow. that comes out of this mouth. They've been an improvement for the fans and as the quality of the show increases because I want the Emmys we've won uh, to really reflect the quality, I think, that we bring. <laughs> um, and so we're kicking off, I think, with a um, uh, a perfect, perfect perfect book after season three so season three martha and i really got dirty you know we by the end of that journey our knives were dull and rusty you know we went on a journey of the you know outer posts of the lesser famous we did that to prove you know we'll, we'll do it all anthony bourdain style but this season we're we're going first class it's all the high it's the regency it's it's the, it's it's the marriott we're going to do the big uh, The boys. Marriott and the Hyatt Regency aren't all that first class, Christian. Sorry. Well, I, I think you're revealing the snob that you are, and I'm okay with that. I'm, re- I'm revealing like my Ritz price Carlton, point. More than like Ritz Carlton. Fine. As long as I've got an air, a wall unit air conditioner in my unit, I'm stoked. And it's an HBO. I pull over to those motels if it says, if it says cable TV. I'm, you're there. I'm you're yeah, there. That's, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so we're going big. It's just big, heavy hitters. You know what I mean? Last season was the leftover candy, if you will, the stuff you have oh, at the end no, of the bag. Oh, no, we like some of those. We like some I of did. Those no, I did. Too. But I'm saying a lot of people were like, this is esoteric. I don't want this candy. Well, this is just full-size candy bars, Snickers, your Twix, what have you, okay? So we are kicking off with Mr. Dave Grohl. And I think this is perfect beginning because like it or not, he is um, an A-list, A-list musician at this point in terms of his fame. And I think the way other people think of him, 
um, like it or not, you know, and certainly say we have no control over a person's fame. They achieve it, you know, sort of independently of their own talent sometimes, sometimes not. But there's no denying that a certain level of fame, like Kim Kardashian, if you will, who has zero talent whatsoever, but she has she she's like a planet unto herself now. And okay, Dave, let's move. Let's move on from Kim Kardashian. Fine. I don't want but to talk point about is, her here. <laughs> fame, we, you and I have no control over the right, of yes, the dipstick yes. as we dip it into the water. Yes. We pull it out, and it says, "Oh my God, super famous." Dave Grohl has he has reached that level. If you don't know who Dave Grohl is, um, he, he was a drummer for the band, a band called Nirvana, and he moved on to a band called the Foo Fighters. Um, his book just came out weeks ago. And and I was telling Martha, when I went to order my book from Amazon, which, you know, as everybody knows, delivers what you want an hour before you order it. They're so fast now, right? They told me, you have to wait seven days for this book. That's how backlogged, backordered this book was. I couldn't, and when I went to Barnes & Noble to actually go to a physical bookstore, they didn't have it in the store. It was sold out. That is Dave Grohl. That is where we're at, folks. Yes. And my local library did not have it available for like another month. Right. So, so everyone's reading this book. Everybody in the world is reading about Dave Grohl and the stories he tells. And so are we. And storyteller. So I want to quickly ask you just if you've got an experience, Martha, with Dave or anything you want to share before we dive into the book. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, I want to share, and this is probably going to be a very very unpopular opinion, okay. but I was never a very big fan of Nirvana's music. Um, I didn't dislike it, but okay. I never understood what the big fuss was about. Uh, and as I told you before we started this episode, Christian, mm -hmm. I was listening to the real Nirvana earlier, and I don't shouldn't even say that because I can't even compare, but I was listening to the Pixies, who... Right. I've always loved since I was uh, a young girl. And uh, and to me, they are just, the Pixies are just amazing. And interestingly enough, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a Pixies music marathon. And as I listened to Debaser, I said, this sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard this in another song too, or I've heard some notes from this in another song. And I had, it smells like teen spirit. So uh, I thought, oh my gosh, it just further proves my point that Nirvana was always a ripoff of the Pixies. And in this book, we come to find out that Dave Grohl says the same thing. So I was never too far off on my opinion opinion of, of them. But Dave Grohl, uh, in terms of um, Dave Grohl himself, I... I am not a, I'm not a fan of the Foo Fighters. This might be yet another unpopular opinion. I'm not, uh, but I do like one song, and that song is "Walking After You." I absolutely love it. I had never heard of it until one day, many many years ago, when someone uh, gave me a CD compilation of a lot of love songs and included that song on there. And I don't necessarily like it because of that occurrence, but I just. I had never heard it because I was not a Foo Fighters fan. I didn't know their music. And I was, who is this? I thought, oh my gosh, this song is just beautiful. Who's singing this? And it was the acoustic version. And it was just lovely. Uh, so I do love that song. And I think Dave's 
voice sounds absolutely lovely in it. Uh, so that I do like that song, but I'm I, I can say that I am a I'm a fan of the Foo Fighters. Got it. Um, well, my turn, I suppose, as they yes. say. Yes. Um, I I saw Nirvana. I saw them at the Forum. I think it was. Um, they were touring for in your in in utero. It was uh-huh. a very loud, um, boisterous, but a good show. It was kind of I think the way you would imagine it to be. That's that's how it was. It was super raw, and they sounded like them, which was somewhat unfiltered. Uh, I did like Nirvana. I mean, again, not I wasn't insane for them or anything, but I I liked it. I bought the album, um, and I thought Kurt Cobain was a very talented individual. Um, you know, we I don't really even want to go in that direction yet because that could be its own whole separate Kurt Cobain show. Um, I do have a story, Martha. Oh, so my cousins, I have really interesting kind of cool cousins. They're always a little ahead of the curve. They were, they got into like, like skating, for instance, way, you know, when, when Tony Hawk came around, they were like, oh, right. re- they were really good friends with all those skaters and they were really good friends with like members of Fishbone and they always just actually seemed to know the people. So my cousins knew a lot of people my cousin Morris, um, some time back. He was living in Eugene, Oregon, and he had a roommate. And he, this roommate bought, brought this, this dirty band back into the apartment, right? Mm-hmm. And my cousin Morris just could not sleep because these people were eating all of the food in the apartment and making way too much noise. So we kicked him out. That band was Nirvana. I was about to say. With yes, Nirvana. it was. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so my cousin Morris has the distinct honor of having kicked Nirvana out of his apartment. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I love this story. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm always just sort of really tangentially, you know, have connected, the yeah. connected to these somehow folks. connected. I am <laughs> um, an intensely, intensely, however, and it, what I love is that we're starting this this book is perfect, Martha. It's it's just great for us because yes, Dave Grohl is insanely like well liked. I'm gonna yes. popular is not the right word, but you can sense that he, that he is just communally well liked. Like everybody likes yes. Dave Grohl, yeah. And you know we're starting with that first episode in a sense, giving the people what they want and apparently what they want according to Amazon because he sold out and Barnes and Noble sold out what. People want is Dave Grohl and the okay? New York Times bestseller list. And, list. Yeah, <laughs> and I intensely dislike the Foo Fighters. Um, I just think it's terrible. I think uh, I think Dave Grohl is somebody who absolutely loves music, and I can relate to that. Of course, you and I can. You know what I mean? We, uh, I, I just respect how much he seems to eat it and breathe it and chew on it at all times. Yes. Yes. I just don't think he is a creative. You and I have talked about what that is. So he can play instruments, but I just don't think he is a creative. Kurt Cobain was a creative. And Nirvana, if one of the two bands is going to last, it's going to be that one. And Foo Fighters, I just profoundly do not understand at all. And it just, I'm scratching my head all the time at the success of this group. And of Dave Grohl, quite frankly, like I just don't understand how this band was selected. And you know, the bass player um, uh, is his name also Kurt Kurt Novalesk. I don't know how to pronounce his name. 
He started a band right after you know Nirvana fell apart, and that band never made it. And for no, if you, I can't imagine that music is any, I hate to say, it, I'm going to worse than the Foo Fighters. So anyway, I don't want to get in my deep into my Illuminati, you know, belief about people who select people, but I don't understand it. <laughs> um, but you know what? I hope our, our, you know, our listeners, we've you know sometimes get mad at us because we just don't love it all. Um, but the fact that I don't like his music, of course, hasn't stopped me from reading his book. And I can separate that from, you know, who it is that I'm meeting on the page. So let's get started with that. Yes. The storyteller. Um, I will say this was the fastest read of them all. I mean, it just went down so fast and so easy. He tells the story. He doesn't tell one story. He just tells a collection of vignettes, kind of, I think, if that's okay, a way of putting it. And, you know, honestly, I was okay with that. I just, once in a while, Martha, I'm sure you feel the same way. When you open a book and it says, it all began when I was born. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, sometimes it's just... You know, it tastes like it's like eating vegetables to get through that section. You know what I well, mean? Well, I like vegetables, but I understand your point. Right. What I'm saying is <laughs> that portion of the book depends on how skilled that person is as a writer. Am I going to get engrossed in what you're saying because you're a talented storyteller? Or am I stuck having to get through this until I get to you making it your band? Well, he sort of just skips all of that. He just sort yes, of tells you f- sections of his life. And as as a reader, it's like, great, okay. You want to give me, I guess, the greatest hits as you see them, why not? And he starts right away. Um, actually, I do want to point out that he does the font thing, Martha. Yes. <laughs> you want to tell the audience what the font thing is? Yes, there's certain points in the book that he makes a point to really highlight, and they're in all caps, bold. And they are, you know, just sort of um, moments or memories. Sentences, single sentences. Yes, yes. That that are related to memories or moments in his life or or just philosophical points of view that he he feels a point to to repeat and reiterate uh, sometimes more than once within the Mm -hmm. same page. Oh, yes. Uh, But, you know, I I have to say, Christian, and I I, I really need to, I'm just going to come out and say it right off the bat. Uh, I really enjoyed this book. Okay. I really enjoyed it. uh, And these sorts of things that I think sometimes annoy me when I read other books, you know, because we've come across this this another this style of of doing this sort of thing where Mm -hmm. sometimes people highlight certain aspects or or, you know they do that font thing as you said uh but in this instance it really didn't bother me i it didn't i i i i don't know i really enjoyed this book a lot (laughs) and i don't like the foo fighters music because i feel the same as you do i just don't understand uh but um but i i yeah. A lot of things about this book that would have bothered me and someone else's didn't bother me. Well, he only does. I think he has a habit of um, when he wants to make a deep heavy, as you put a philosophical point. <laughs> yes. He yes. wants to get very, uh, what's that guy's? Tol, Echel Tolhard or Tolhard? Oh. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> when he wants to give us his deep thoughts, he it's typically at the end of a chapter. He switches. Yes. And I think it's probably his own handwriting. I'm guessing they did that again. <laughs> 
and it switches uh, to that. And actually, like our that, friend Art. <laughs> right. That that actually reminds me of something that was common in the 90s. I remember a lot of uh, autobiographers did that. <laughs> yes. They would right. just like, switch or get hyper graphic with the text and it would change fonts or be double bold. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed reading it. I mean, it was so uh, personable and easy reading and he's not. He does come across as just this easygoing, likable guy. Yeah, you know I mean? it's like super nice. And- yeah. So that comes through. Um, and it, it, the whole of it is very easy. It's just smooth and, and pleasant. <laughs> Christian, um, you know what? Yeah. You know, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. That at one point I was like, I should, I should try give the Foo Fighters music a chance. I did the same thing. <laughs> I had to, Martha, because I was kind of like, oh my gosh, Dave Grohl, you're really nice. I feel bad not liking your music. I really feel that I need to explore it a little bit more. Maybe there's something I'm missing. I don't know, but he was just so likable in this book. And you know, the, know. the part, the part that I loved was that he acknowledges that he's kind of like this sappy, dorky kind of guy and he embraces it. And you know, I don't, I don't love anything more than like sappy, dorky people. <laughs> like I really do. Hey. And so I thought, Oh my gosh, like he, like I could be friends with him. So then of course I did the thing that won't surprise you. I checked his astrological sign. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And guess what, Christian? Uh, guess no, what? Know. What? He's an earth sign just like us. And okay. and you're going to not believe this. Mm. He's a Capricorn just like no you. No way. <laughs> this yes. guy is the farthest. Yes. Farthest. Yes. No. I yes. He's a Capricorn. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And, you know, I've always gone along very well with Capricorns in general. I really I have. See. And so then I thought, oh, my gosh, that's it. I'm going to be his best friend. Like, oh, I love Dave. Great. Like, now I love Dave Girl. Like, I think he's great. <laughs> okay. Well, since you brought it up, I will say because of the quantity of popularity of this guy and the Foo Fighters and the fact he does seem so likable, of course, I did that thing like, I, okay, I'm going to put an album on. I'm gonna, and he says, color and the shape, that's the one. I put it on, right? In my home, in my home, Martha. Yes. I've got the Foo Fighters blaring as I'm cleaning my floor on my hands and knees. <laughs> I couldn't make it through the second song. It was so awful. It was unlistenable. He's just screaming about a monkey wrench or whatever, not a melody in sight. He doesn't, he's not a creative. He confuses screaming and emotion with melody. That's, and he talks in the book, we'll get, you know, about how he fell in love with the Beatles who taught him melody. And that's why yeah. I'm like, I don't see one ounce of that anywhere <laughs> in sight in your music. You, you and your Foo Fighters have repelled all of that. Well, look, I'm still going to give it a chance because I have to admit also, Christian, that I did the same thing. And I was like, I can't listen it's to it. It's awful. <laughs> but don't I'm gonna apologize. Give, <laughs> I'm going to give it another chance because, uh, Dave, I love you. You are so sweet. And I, I love how much you love your daughters. And I just, I well, think you're awesome. You're okay. awesome, Dave. <laughs> I don't love them as much as you do. And let's get into I, that. I, I do. I do. All right. I think you got to read between the lines a little bit more. And, be, <laughs> and the real Capricorn show you that he's a fraud as a Capricorn. <laughs> so the book begins. We got to get to it. Um, he He's throughout the book. He loves his mom. He's way into his mom. Yes. Which is, I'm sure, endearing to some people. Um, I can't. It's anyway, I'll just leave it at that. I think it's very endearing. And right away, he just tells, takes you and sucks you into vignette. And I did appreciate that. 
And he, apparently he learned how to play jazz or got sort of exposed to music through a, ja- um, to, through a jazz club. I guess that his mom would take him to and people yes. would get up and would get on stage and do their thing. And you would take turns if you thought you had the chops kind of thing. And there's a motif we've seen in terms of jazz where there there is that element. If you get up on stage, we'll let you do it. But let's see what you can do, kid. Yeah. And I mean, better be that, good. yeah, it seems frightening. And this is there are moments throughout the book, Martha, where I was able to separate two things. I, again, I've made it clear I'm just not a fan of, of his musical offerings. But the man has courage, boy. I'll tell you, he tells a lot of stories yes. that I just thought I would have found a way to get out of that because the nerves required, I can't fathom the nerves required. And I think the first example of it is this story. So he's he's just beginning to play the drums, really, and he goes with his mom. And for his mom's birthday, his mom says to him while they're there you know what i'd really appreciate dave for my birthday is if you got up there and yes. jammed with the band and played drums yeah and he he describes the feeling of terror really well and i could re- relate to that uh just because I, I can't imagine just going up there and dropping into the pool with your skateboard amongst all these pros you know and you don't you barely know what you're doing but he didn't want to let his mom down so he did it and um, he, he says he just doesn't even remember how he got through it, but he did somehow. And, you know, I've said it again and again. I'm sure it's getting tiring to people, but there are definitive moments, Martha, where I think your life trajectory is set in, 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 a, in a, a prosperous direction or not. And this is one of those moments where I think that was set, his path was sort of set. Because if he'd said, no, mom, I'm terrified. You can't drag me to do that then it would have been so much easier the second time to say, no, I don't do that. But he doesn't. He got, he gets up and plays the drums, which was, I think, nerve-wracking and amazing. Um, and I, I again, I was right away, I was like, taken with the fact that he would do that. Well, I think that's part of the reason that I enjoyed this book, this book as much as I did, too. I I always really admire and respect people who are willing to take risks and he always did. I mean, yeah, it seems he like he, and he still does. It appears that way, you know, like know, he still does. And I think it's remarkable. Uh, it's his drive too. you know, I, he has so many qualities that I just, um, that he, at least that he shares in this book anyway, that I just find so admirable in people in general. And so time after time, he, and he's got so much loyalty and uh, dedication and just, I don't know, just things that I really respect. And so the fact that he doesn't just tell you, but he shows you through examples of various aspects of, you know, throughout his life where he's taken a risk and, and been true to himself and all those things. Um, I thought not only is he a nice guy, but he just really has this really strong determination to make it. And that was admirable to me. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up because it, it dovetails into, um, Another story he tells, and this is where I started to to have a, a, a dual experience with the book and Dave, and just who Dave is in our world, even right. So you talked about his determination and his his grit and all that good stuff. He tells the story. I forgot about it until I read it. That he, while playing with Foo Fighters, he's jumping around the stage. He jumps off the stage in oh such a way gosh. that he breaks his ankle. Okay? Oh my gosh. All right, so he breaks his ankle, sounds horrible, don't want to do it. And he doesn't stop the show. No. And he proceeds to tell the story about like high stakes drama 
uh, whatever you do, don't stop the show. And he I, does he drive to the hospital? I think, or do they? No, does somebody they, come they, to they, the, they bring they bring a cast for him, and his right. leg is getting more swollen as as the time goes by. And there's the doctor on stage with him, sort of still having a like something that they've wrapped around his leg in order to ensure that his leg doesn't fall apart because it wasn't right. his ankle i think it was like his knee or something he had like a major Oof, yeah. major major accident. oh you're right he broke his ankle in yeah. a different story yeah so he breaks his leg it sounds terrible but i do know he's off stage for some time while the band's continuing without Correct. him he's like whatever you do don't stop man and he's getting bandaged backstage like karate kid who wants to return to you know to, to feet uh what's his name i forget and so he then comes back out on stage, you know, as the warrior and his legs all wrapped up. He's sitting in a chair, but he's holding his guitar, still rocking now because he's got to give the fans what they want, man. Yeah. He's got to play. And at one point, he even stands at the microphone with his newly busted leg. And he talks about all the goodwill coming from the fans as he's playing injured. And this is where I, I got, I think you and I probably had a separate take is I thought, you know what? This is just this do or die. We've got to storm the beaches of Normandy. We cannot stop. For what? For Foo Fighters music, Martha. <laughs> I'm serious. For what? This is for what? It's just a generic rock show. And again, I, I, I'm sure somebody out there is like, well, that's just your subjective opinion. Some people really love. I don't know what there is inside of it, Martha. And he repeatedly, he sort of had these moments where, no, I've got to gotta make it to the show for more Foo Fighters. I'm like, this is why it's all derivative. It's all generic. You're already rich. Just reschedule the show. What are you, who are you saving with this music? I think he's just in love with romance, but somehow all of this rock and roll nonsense, in fact, does mean something. And we do read that he, he really thinks that he's, he covers himself with tattoos to symbolize different bands that he loves because he thinks it's cosmically linked to some oneness with the universe. It gives him a conduit to the talent that gives him the ability to make this music. And it's all, to me, I just thought, you know, you know, I've read so many books about all of these musicians discovering that it's just hollow. It's a hologram, you know, like yes. Duff, Duff McKagan was like, oh my God, it's just an empty illusion, right? Dave Grohl seems to not have hit that point because of the way he treats these rock shows. Like I got to get there to play be my hero or whatever that song is and i just like <laughs> you're you're it seems about himself like i need the drama for me to this gives meaning to the music because it ain't in the music <laughs> do you understand no i totally get what it's you're like saying. i'm racing to give you your big mac I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it because I gave you my word. But you know, some people really <laughs> like Big Macs, and you know, Christian, I, I get that, but it's not that. It's a Big Mac. <laughs> but you know, I think, I, I, I think that it's. I understand exactly what you're saying, and I get it because, again, I'm not a fan of the music, but the people that paid their money to be there are, and he, I think, really takes that. I understand what you're saying. Like some of it is, is for him too. And I'm sure it is. I mean, so many of the books that we've read up until this point talk about how, you know, the, the musicians themselves get that high that they feed off of from the audience. So I think it's also, it's almost mutual, right? But I think that in terms of 
of him doing that and just saying, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm doing this no matter what. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of applauded him for that. I have to be honest because I think that if I was at a show and the band that I loved, you know, was the lead singer, all of a sudden that happens. I mean, obviously my first reaction would be like, oh my gosh, get him to the hospital, make sure that he's okay. But a part of me would really appreciate that singer pushing forth, you know? And so I, I did, I, I guess I did have a, I did, uh, interpret that and have a different take than you did because it might not be the music I like, but there were thousands of people there who that's the music they love. And he, and in part, he did it for them too. And, you know, that's, that's pretty admirable, Christian, I think, for, for a musician to take it to that level where it's like, you know, I'm going to give them what they pay for. And he does, I want to note that. Uh, that he does say that in the book, like, I want to give people what they paid for their hard earned cash, you know, like they, they're expecting something from me, and I want to give it to them. And I think also, I, I think the reason that it didn't, that I also understood it, and that I appreciated it was because he talks throughout the book, he talks about how much of a music fan he is, which is something that obviously you and I can, can truly relate to. And he constantly makes note of the fact that he is still a fan. And so when he puts on a show, when he encounters a fan, when he meets people, uh, he wants to be, he wants to be there for them. You know, he wants to be that cool rock star and he wants like, and not cool, like, oh, I'm so cool, but he, he doesn't want to sort of burst the bubble of what it might be like to meet him the way that some People, you know, some people have bad experiences when they meet their heroes. And he doesn't want to be that for people. He wants to be someone that they're excited to have met and, and all of that. So um I understand where you're coming from. I totally get it, but but I think it speaks to who he is. Whether we like the music or not, it speaks to who he is. And and I thought that was pretty cool. I have to admit, because trust me, if I just like sprained my ankle, I'd be like, ah, get me out of here. I'm done. I want to go home, you know? <laughs> uh, and he pushed through oh, time and time again in various, various situations. It, I, I'm sure you're probably correct. I just thought, I don't know, at the end of the day, you're not saving anybody's life with this. This is superfluous. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know. Somebody's Tuesday, I, Tuesday night. What do you, what do you, it's not surgery. It's not. But like, you know what? Think about the way that you feel when you see an act you absolutely love live. I know. I get it already. I got what you said the first time. I really did. <laughs> I, I do. I just, uh, all right. All right. We're not here to talk about the Foo Fighters. We are not. <laughs> no, okay. we're talking about Dave Grohl. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Who is the leader of the Foo Fighters? <laughs> he is the leader of the Foo Fighters, everybody. Um, there is a chapter, as I briefly said, where he talks about the mystical way in which he, I think he has some weird ceremony or he prays to the universe to get connected to music. Yes, when he's a teenager, I think. Yeah, but it seems to sort of, he, he, he maintains consistent, like, uh, there's something out there, man, vibe. I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> he just sort of has this slackery, weed smoking vibe. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he also cobbles together with like, oh, I like John Bonham's random 606. And oh, I like a little, that band had a logo. I'll put that, I'll, I'll tattoo the black flag logo on my arm with the Led Zeppelin logo here. 
you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'll just paste together this random music, nebulous God energy that I sort of yeah. pray to. That and, kind of made me laugh. I'm like, wow, that's like a hodgepodge just, of a bunch of stuff going yeah, on there. Yeah, it's just nonsense. <laughs> it's like a Foo Fighter show. If you've ever, I, even I know that like Foo Fighter, every single show he brings out like five different random surprise guests, and he's always <laughs> covering other people's music. It's just, it's like the weirdest thing. I don't get it, Martha. I just so don't get it. <laughs> right. Anyway, <laughs> he said that he does do the thing again where I'm like, damn, I, you can't help but respect him. He's a teenager and he sees a flyer and it, he it's a flyer like taped to like a telephone pole or something or music store, I think. And one of his favorite punk bands is auditioning or in need of a drummer. Right. And he most people, I'm sure 100 percent of them, except for him, which is 99 percent, I guess. Just walk by the flyer or ignore it or that can't be real, whatever. I'm too scared. Not Dave. He has all those thoughts in his head, but he makes the phone call anyway. And he's immediately, he's at an audition for this band that he loves. He knows all of their music. He's amazed to be in the room with them. And he's in high school still. Yes. And man, he's making things happen so early, Martha, by putting himself out there. Yes, that's admirable, you know, Christian. That's admirable. It's beyond that part to me. That part is what I really, I bow down to and have respect for. That takes cojones um, at that age, too, just to, wow. It just, it takes a lot of courage and chutzpah. And, and I have nothing but respect for, for that character trait of his, that one in particular. And then he's in the band Scream. Yes. They they like him. He fits in. Um, and he drops out of high school. He does. And suddenly he's in this band and he's just touring. And it really, you do feel happy for him. You feel like his life begins at that moment. Yes. Yeah, you really get a sense of that. that yes, it, you do, that, and you yeah, get a sense for his his excitement to be a part yes. of all of that too. He, it's very the way he describes it, you know, and, and the way he talks about not just the fact that he gets to be in this band, but then everything that comes with the touring. And and, and I mean, again, just like so many other people, they're living in squalor. Squalor, <laughs> but he doesn't care because he's doing what he loves. Yeah, he seems to enjoy every minute of it. There's nothing about it that's unappealing. Whereas you and I would just, you know, like, no. you can't do this. There's no, <laughs> no. It's not happening. Where's the nearest Ritz Carlton? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with Maui, Best Western. <laughs> but Martha, no. Yeah, he loves it. He's just touring with Scream and sweating and just bashing away at the drums and doing his thing, having a good old time. And I thought he was late. Kathy Valentine beat him to it. But he himself also has a section of the book where he talks about the van, the yes. tour van. And I really enjoyed reading that. And I feel like yeah, that's going to start too. to become uh, permanently enshrined into the myth of rock now is this the tour van and what, how it's used, how you sleep in it, the gross thing. Oh, God, just I would never want to be in a guy's tour van. Ever. Oh, my God. It's just so I, feral. Can you imagine how it smells I in there? I can't. I don't want to, no, Christian. I don't, I don't want either. to. I don't ever. want to, ever. That's not fun to me. That's why I never did any of these things. Like, I, even as a teenager, looked at that and said, that's gross. <laughs> don't want to do it. <laughs> You're like, I need a clean living space. Yeah, I need I a warm bed. <laughs> you know, I never had brothers either. So you farting in my face, it's not appealing. It's not endearing. I don't feel bonded <laughs> to you. It's just disgusting. 
you know? Uh, yeah. Not for me. Yeah, no, I can't imagine. I grew up with a brother, but he was not like that because obviously he couldn't be that way with me. So sure. Well, he could have. <laughs> well, he could have, but he wasn't. He was. He was nice. They're touring, and then you know they make it to New York and a place that you and I have read about many yes, times. Many, many, many and times. CBGB. Yes. And he's super excited and he reads through the roster of dead white males. Yes. I'm sorry, not dead white males. That's what they say for English literature, but it's the same thing is my <laughs> point. Yeah. It's the same way people are apparently tired of the same canon of the same literature and the same mindset it represents. There, all arts have, all things have that. Even the punk rock ethos, which is about not doing that, immediately has its own. Because CBGB, he just rattles off the names, Martha. Yeah, You and I have read over yes. and over. I was like, oh, those are our friends. Uh, like, yeah. We know them. <laughs> uh, Blondie, television, yes. talking heads, yes. Patty Smith, of course. Yes, all of our always. old friends. All of our old right. friends. And I don't even know if these people are capable of separ- or discerning anymore whether or not they actually like them. It's just the mythos of the place. Right. And therefore, I must like these artists, too, because, and whatever. He goes there. He's really excited. And again, he's got that experience, man. And we got it. I don't know. I really wish I could do it over again. And Dave Grohl, I was envious. I was jealous of this man. Oh, because what yes. about what? What exactly? Because he put himself out there. And then right away, it's because he puts himself out there, even though he's living in squalor, even though he's sleeping in a dirty van, because he's in a dirty van and living in squalor and smells and stinks. There's a knock on the van door when they're oh, playing yeah. at a particular gig. Yes. And they've seen that apparently the same uh, venue in which they're going to be playing is going to be temporarily shared for one night by Iggy Pop. Yes. Who is, I think, putting on a show for the execs or debuting some uh, yes, album or something. Yes, for music executives, correct. The public is not allowed. They're just out of their minds, thrilled to, just to see Iggy Pop as he walks from, I think, his vehicle to the venue. Yes, like, outside. I'm like, yeah, this is like worth it alone. My entire life is validated. Well, of course, I, I had an inkling of what was coming. So did I. It's still amazingly exciting. There's a knock on the van door. Um, because prior to that scream and Dave Grohl have begged, could we just see him like warm up? Can we, see, can we please watch? And they say, no, 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 get out. But an hour later, there's a knock on the van door. And somebody says, which one of you is the drummer? And Iggy Pop, he's a drummer. And an hour later, Dave Grohl, he's playing drums with Iggy Pop. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's just describing what it's like to, to, to see this person you've seen a million times as a fan from a distance. And that person is moving in front of you. And you're playing music with that person. Amazing. It was... It was Man, we've just read a variety of experiences like this. And I tell you, if you put yourself out there, you will bump into something. It's true. You know, I, you really will. You just won't know how it's going to happen. But if you put yourself in proximity to those things, it's going to increase the odds by, you know, astronomically. Well, there's and, zero chance if you don't and some chance if you do. So that's, right. that's the way. You that's know. a great way of putting it. You should write that down. Zero chance if you don't, some if you do. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I be, I'm surprised Dave Grohl didn't put that in his crazy font. At some point, well, maybe book. he will in his second in <laughs> <Right>? his second <laughs> book. <laughs> As Martha said, "No chance if you don't. Some chance oh, if you do." My goodness, <laughs> but yeah, he plays with him, and it's it's amazing to read that. And you know, every time I read those stories, and you know, because he is such a fan, Christian, every time that he 
talks about those moments, I couldn't help but feel happy for him. Um, because, because I put myself in, in his shoes, you know, as far as if I ever met someone that I am fanatical about, or that I had been growing up, you know, someone that I was a fan of since I was a kid and meeting them now, I think I would revert back to that kid in me, you know? And so every time that he meets someone, um, that he admires, be it Iggy Pop or later on when he's famous and he gets to meet little Richard, whom he loves, uh, all of those instances, you know, he, he the way that he discusses them and the way that he expresses sort of the joy that he felt, to, what he, as he says, you know, to see these people in a three-dimensional way and they're just not this person that you've created, uh, you know, I- imagined uh, or seen on TV or whose records you've only listened to at home. But they're actually real. Uh, the way he talks about that, I, you know, as as someone who loves music as much as I do, I could only put myself in, in his shoes. And so every time he talked about that, I I couldn't help but feel so happy. And, and I think that's part of the reason that I enjoyed this book as much because his love of music is just very palpable throughout. And everything that he talks about it. You can feel his excitement. You know, I don't know much about Dave Grohl other than what <laughs> general. Read his whole book. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I didn't know much about him. I, I've, I've, I don't know that I've even seen that many interviews with him. I don't. I mean, I just don't. You know, I don't follow the music, his music, so I don't really know a whole lot. But after having read this book, all I could think about was this is a guy who. I would love to hang out with and have him tell me all these stories because his energy was so great throughout it. Like, I don't know. It just, it really felt like it was him. I don't know what he is like, but based on this book, he just seemed like so excited and, and like, he'd be really fun to be around, you know? And so, uh, every time something good happened to him, I was happy for him. I was like, oh my God. Yay. That's so great. I have heard a couple of interviews with him. I heard a super long in-depth interview with him on the Howard Stern show many years ago. Ah. And he went hardcore in-depth into Kurt Cobain and his suicide, the whole thing. Oh, wow. And he was just super open about it. And it was riveting. To, you know, he just, he didn't hide the ball. And he just seemed, you know, like a person telling a story that was painful. But he told it in detail. Every every question Howard asked, he answered. Wow. But in detail. And I've seen him um, and other things. I think him, I don't. I don't, I just, I'm sure it's me. I'm just a bitter person. I saw him on a Top Chef where all the contestants were making food. Like a, one of the challenges was to make food for the band, right? Oh, really? And having to watch all these contestants, either they were all genuinely that excited because, you know, they do the big reveal. Like for this challenge, you're going to be making food, but not just for anybody. You might be wondering why we're in this big stadium. Who are you making it for? And there comes Dave Grohl in the band and everybody goes crazy. And I'm thinking, <laughs> either these people are fin- are these these terrible these poor people are subjected to having to put on this incredible acting performance, pretending that they're over the moon, or they're really stoked to see the Foo Fighters <laughs> to be cooking for the Foo Fighters. Yeah. And Dave had that energy, like, oh wow, it's just all so good, it's all so great, you know? Like, oh my God, I love it. Oh, it's just so great. I don't even. I don't even know who to vote off because I love you all, you know? Oh, I think he really is like that, Christian. <sighs> I really got that vibe from reading this book. I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's fake either I, at all. 
it's it's I I don't it's not I saw him again when at one of his shows recently a religious group was outside um you know holding up their signs saying something like you know the music's for the devil something like that and Dave got on like a a, a truck uh the big pick, pickup truck like yeah. country looking truck yeah and he in the whole Foo Fighters were in the back and they just came along playing the Bee Gees disco say come on it's okay just love it man love it and I don't I just thought it was a little <sighs> let's move on let's move on let's move on to the uplifting part of the book it's not uplifting but um as soon as scream starts scream's sort of over right it just sort of dis- dissolves yes okay um and when it does who walks into his life Martha who walks into his life yeah, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. Was it right after Scream, or was it, there wasn't another band? Am I thinking about the band before he was in Scream? Yeah, know, no, it was after confused. Scream. It's Am I thinking very quickly? Yes, he gets a okay. phone call and somebody says, "Well, he comes out to LA. Right. He comes out to LA right. for a little bit." Yes, you're right. Yeah. He gets that phone call when he's staying at that. At yeah, we've yes, never gotten yes, this yes, phone yes, call. Yes, he did not been doing with Scream. Yes, and yes, he yes. gets he talks to Kurt, the bassist, and that bassist says, "I think you might want to talk to Kurt Cobain." And I got to tell you that to me, the book comes to, to there's just a depth to it instantly when Kurt Cobain enters the story, just like the music of Nirvana has so much more depth to it. I really think he was the real deal. So when he enters the book, I was um, really excited about that. I don't know how you felt about that. Well, well, I mean, obviously. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, I don't I never disliked uh, Nirvana. I mean, I didn't. I just didn't, um, I just didn't understand why everyone was as crazy about the music as they were, because I think for me, there, there were other bands who had done that already and, and better, but that's just my opinion. And I understand their importance in music history and all of that. I get it. Uh, but they just, I never, I never really became a fan. And interestingly, you know, it's, what's funny is that I considered I'm going to share something with you. I considered buying Nevermind because, again, I did like the music and I had it in my hand to buy it and I put it back. And I'm going to tell you why I put it back because I told myself, I will not listen to this 20 years from now. And I, and I, I, I never listened to Nirvana <laughs> yeah, I don't know. ever. I did not. <laughs> but I do think that when he does enter the story, there is definitely a shift in the book. Uh, but I think it also is because it's Kurt Cobain. You know, it's it's the sure. mythology of Kurt Cobain. I just felt like that. an artist entered into the story. And like I said, that's my issue with Dave as much as I'm sure he's the nicest guy ever. He's I just don't think he was an artist. And I thought Kurt Cobain was to a certain extent. But, you know, you can debate to what extent that is, but I thought he was. Um, I was interested right away in... I don't know if you knew people like this, but I did. The way Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl were living, <laughs> it's just gross. The way Dave Grohl does a really good job of describing this oh gross. My. Is it a house yes. or an apartment? How does a house? It's it's a house. It's a small. It's a back small house. back house, and you just get the sense that it's dingy. Dirty. Oh, I could picture. He did such a great oh, job at describing man. the film. And he says that Kurt Cobain had this <laughs> putrid terrarium with a turtle in it because Kurt was really. <laughs> that stared at <laughs> <Yeah>. him. 
Kurt was really into turtles. He was like, because shells are actually really sensitive. It's like wearing your spine on the outside, you know? And the details of that, that, that setting were really rich. And I, in the 90s, yes. knew some people that liked that. So I could really see oh, oh man. i didn't they just yeah <laughs> I did they woke up smoked weed, like smoked weed all day they smoked weed before i went they went to bed and it was just it's just it was yeah. just gross and he does a really good job describing that and he also does a good job he does um when he joins nirvana he's really lucky kind of like uh kathy valentine is they're on the brink of super success there's like i didn't i didn't know that <laughs> yes. there was a big bidding war for Nirvana prior to the release of and the recording of Nevermind. They just released Bleach, I guess, which made a splash. Yes. Neither did I, Christian. Yeah. I so he steps that. into a band that's just like, hey, we're going to play with the Yankees now. On the you brink. Come? Like, sure. Right. And um, so, I mean, great for Dave. I mean, I, I, I thought that's awesome for you, Dave. That's really great. And talks a little bit of how they record music and Kurt's process and they kind of jam it out a little bit. And he's he's up front that both he and Kurt just adore the Pixies. Yes. And blatantly copy that silent loud technique. Silent yes. Loud. Um, yes. I was like, Dave, thanks for acknowledging the truth. <laughs> and then once again, this is why we if you're wondering why we won an Emmy for last seasons, <laughs> I'll tell you why. And it's the reason. It happens again in this groundbreaking episode. Uh, we've patented this. Just if you're listening, we between seasons, we copyrighted it. We patented it. We started it in LLC. Uh, <laughs> and the tours are going to be starting um, in January of next year. Because, drum roll, please, oh, I know what you're as they saying. say I know in the business. I know what you're about to say. I know what you're about to, to say. To our listeners, Thank you for putting the trust in us that we would discover gold because we did. And the gold is in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> Christian, when I read that, I thought this is unbelievable. We've unbelievable. got to start this tour. We've got to start the valley tour. Unbelievable. <laughs> because that's where Nevermind yes, was recorded is yes. in the valley. I could not. When I read that, I thought one of the most popular albums of all time was recorded in the yep. valley unbelievable <laughs> Yet you know again. martha we are the only two people in the united states of america to know this i guarantee <laughs> and you. our listeners and our listeners and our listeners yes. and our listeners it's just us the tribe of the valley goers <laughs> we're the we're we're valley people yeah we, we embrace yes. it yes my it goodness. was amazing yeah. i know um he, so he takes you through the the ride that is Nirvana, which explodes almost instantly. He says, "Instantly." And I do, yeah. He says, and I remember that. I remember vividly the first time I heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and hearing how raw, raw it was, but also hearing that it had a melody, this really quite a catchy melody, as aggressive as it was. It had a deep hook, and it had that silent loud thing, which is very effective. And I, I responded to it super fast, and I, and I think everybody did. Oh, yeah. And apparently, and apparently Dave, even at the show, the first time they play it at a show, it just generates incredible electricity. And it was and the first brings, time that they played it, because yeah, it was a brand new song. They hadn't played it anywhere right. yet. Yeah. He brings you into that, um, and it makes you, you know, sound like animals exploding in an electrified cage at some of these Nirvana shows, which, and, you know, at that time, too, grunge was also synonymous with that, and moshing and all that so it was really a great um dynamite kickoff that song 
And you know, he really um, did a good job at, I thought, when when he described when they first play Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, um, he, did. he did a really great job at describing the crowd and the energy and what they felt like and all of it. And I have to, you know, I I, I was able to envision myself in that crowd yeah. at that moment. And I yeah. thought, okay, I've gone to some really amazing rocking shows and I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really able to to put myself there. And I thought he did a really great job at, at bringing you into that moment as well. Very well. And I also like um, something we've noticed about musicians. Um, and he, he just distinctly says that when he gets his first real paycheck, yes. he says he just, he does what all musicians do, which is blow it completely on garbage. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was you. He what he does, folks, with his first actual paycheck, and it's hardly anything. It's like four hundred dollars. Yes, but it was a lot of money but, to him. Yeah, it's like it's like more than he can fathom. Because right? he's, he's been living the diet he describes. Oh, living my off of. Oh man, I don't know how he stayed alive. But he says that with his first check, he immediately bought a Nintendo console. <laughs> yes, that's how you know. Like what? <laughs> yeah, I guess you're just a kid. You really are just a kid still. Well, he, yeah, they were what in their early 20s at that I point? wasn't buying Nintendo consoles at that age it was just but I, I like how upfront he is about it yes. like I just blew it on crap and it was gone instantly but then he's just right back to the diet he's familiar with anyway so it's not a big deal to him and I did enjoy reading that yeah okay so okay here's again the 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 take where I, 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 I kept separating from the text and he says that as Nirvana explodes super quickly that right away they find that they're playing to crowds that they don't recognize as being their own tribe. Right away, yes, it's the people that used to bully them that are showing up. And he describes them as macho monster truck homophobes. And I got to see, here's the thing, Mark. Here's the thing. When I read that, Martha, that description, yes, I said to myself, that's a Foo Fighter fan. That's who likes the Foo Fighters, Martha. It's Orange County monster truck rock. Even Dave Grohl has that goofy barbed wire tattoo around his arm. Like, you know, the cars and they have those black rims, those ugly black rims, like white guy, flat Orange County, flat baseball cap. You know that black rim, right? I know exactly what you're talking about. That is Foo Fighter music. It's black rim much that's who its fan base is so when i read that i was like i don't i don't (laughs) i'm confused about you dave i don't (laughs) understand you because and that's what i never got about foo fighters is nirvana was played on k-rock back when k-rock was still half k-rock right right foo fighters is played on kiss fm martha well, I think they might have started being played. They, they might have gotten their start, you know, getting played out on K Rock, and then maybe they shifted to to, K- to Kiss FM. I mean, I, <laughs> regardless. So, and the way he keeps talking about how marginalized he was and how he was, he felt like he never fit in. I'm like, yes. you're a Foo Fighter. He did talk about that a lot, but you know, I think that that was um, in part because he always felt a bit like an outsider. And I think that we- I didn't get that impression. No, I I thought that he, I know what I, what I'm saying is, you know, initially when he, when he talks about what he was like as a kid, 
he talks about how he often felt like he didn't really belong and there weren't many other kids that were like him and he always felt like an outsider. And I think that when he says that later on in the book, that he's always sort of, because he, he talks about that at some point later on in the book when he's already famous that, you know, he always sort of felt like an outcast and and all of that. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that he's always so amazed that he's friends with people like, you know, Paul McCartney, which I could not right. understand. But, yeah. <laughs> but you and me both, sister. I was like, wait, how did they become friends? What? Right. I just I was really well, I was like, wow. Yeah. But um, but I think, you know, I think you carry certain things with you. And so from your childhood, even when you're an adult and you're, you know, I think that there are those things. And so that's why I feel that he probably still sees his music and who he is and sort of his roots because his roots were, were cemented in a, in a different world. So yes, he might have all of this fame and he might have all of this now. Uh, but I imagine that a part of him still sees himself as refers to as a misfit, you know, even though his music is so mainstream. <laughs> he, I think he is. Okay. I'm going to, I don't like to jump around, but since the topic is up, this is it. It, it ties into it okay yes it's the same way okay when i read that macho truck quote and i'm like dave i don't think you understand yourself or your fans if you don't realize that's who your fans are that you just mocked okay so part two of that is later on in the book where i had the same exact thought he goes to he's i tell you dave girl has spent more time with the white house than most presidents oh my gosh point, Martha. i know okay. i was like wait he's there again well, right. what's he doing there so, now the first, right, I know. I think he just has a bedroom there at this point <laughs> the, with a turtle in it, which is much cleaner. <laughs> so he's invited to inaugurate the Who, the White House. And I can, I never understand how in the world is, do you, conf- the White House yeah, I don't get and that. rock and roll? Yeah. That's just yeah. any, you know, if to even show up to that is not, is not, that's not rock and roll. But anyway, there's a big to do, the who's being given a big ceremony and all these things, and he's been asked to participate. And so he's he's supposed to give a speech. And um I, I didn't know this. I thought this was really interesting. He's minding his own business, and this guy comes up to him and he says, I'm here to write your speech for you, basically, but I want to talk to you for a little while. So I get a sense of who you are. <laughs> so when I write the speech, it kind of has your voice. And Dave's like, oh, okay. So they talk for a little bit, right? I thought this is the most fascinating thing I'd read. And like half an hour later, because these speechwriters, you know, their IQs are bazillion. He might have already maybe just had the speech written. And he's like, well, I'll just take Dave Grohlisms and right mix it in with the speech. <laughs> he gives the speech to Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl reads it, and they're like the word "dude" is there like every every eight sentence. And Dave Grohl's like, what the hell? And I'm like, Dave, again, you seem to misunderstand. I think this man you're making fun of for putting dudes in just did a good job of capturing you. That is who you are. You're a weed smoking dude. Even in your book, he uses the word that he uses profanity, the F word, constantly. Yes. He's just like this bro dude. And I think he has a separate idea of himself that really doesn't sometimes line up with. Yeah, I think the speechwriter got you right. <laughs> oh, Dave. You see what I'm saying? Yes, no, I understand. I understand. But I like Dave. 
<laughs> I know. I can tell you love Dave. I did. Love I, everybody does. I Dave's did. Most I really, I class. really liked him. And you know, I, I'm, I'm the same, Christian. I don't always like people, <laughs> and even when people, oh, even when people are nice, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, oh, you're too nice, and it seems too fake, and I don't like you. But right. with him, it just didn't seem. It seems like this is just who he is, you know, and. Uh, his yeah, son. he says dude a lot, I bet. Well, I don't like the word dude personally. But I, he denies it. He's like, that's not me. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I don't like, I don't like the word dude. Your bottom wire tattoo says otherwise, dude. I'd rather dude. Have, have someone drop F-bombs than the word dude, to be quite honest I with you. I can't prefer neither. I, well, if I had to make a choice, I hate the word dude. It absolutely makes me cringe. I hate it. But moving on. So since he tells things in vignettes, you, re- you don't get too much of Nirvana. After that, it very quickly... And without much explanation, he just starts to say that Nirvana thing cracks start to appear. Yes. You don't really get a sense of what that means, though. You don't. At all. He just says they start to appear. I mean, I guess I can understand just at a blanket level that much fame that quickly is going to just make life weird. There's no training manual for that much fame. Yes. And then your, your lead singer is this heroin addict who's already artsy fartsy gets involved. This, you know crazy woman who throws gasoline all over the problem, right? Like, But he doesn't tell you. He just says cracks in the relationship. He's not very forthcoming um, about what that is. And almost immediately, he just got, cuts to the chapter where Kurt Cobain dies. Yes. I thought that came so fast. I was like, oh, whoa, we're doing this already. Okay. You know, I mean, it's your book. I mean, that's cool, but... But you know what, though? I have to be honest, Christian. A part of me thought that the timing of him sharing that moment when Kurt dies. Okay. Mm-hmm. I felt that it was actually, it felt the way that it, in the book, the way that it felt like, oh, we're here now. Okay. Cause yeah. I felt the same. I was like, oh, wow, we're right. already there, you know? Right. But it felt, it felt similar to what it felt like when it actually happened. Because, because to me, I, I thought, I remember when Nirvana was everywhere, right? I mean, we, they were, being played everywhere all the time mtv the radio everywhere and it seemed like it all just happened so quickly and next thing you knew you're hearing about him dying by suicide you know so it's it's almost like i felt that this his telling of that moment Uh, replicated replicated the experience of what it felt like when it actually happened it did for me anyway i i hear that i hear i i I understand what you're saying and i guess that is I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, I guess I just thought of it. It really, it does occur appropriately at an appropriate place in the book because, yes. I mean, so much of his life has happened after that. This was something now that, I mean, it, it, he's telling it in the right spot. It just, it happened so quickly after the beginning of the story in Nirvana. And you know what's so interesting too is the fact that you're absolutely right about that. I mean, the time that, you know, it's interesting because he says he'll always be the guy that was in Nirvana, right? And of course he will. But it's interesting because it was such a small part of his life, that band. And yeah, yet it's yeah, been it and yet it's been a tremendously defining band for him, obviously. Uh, but it was so it was it was so it's such a short period of time. I mean yeah, it was it just was. A, it was it was not even Two five. albums, really. Yes, yes. Yeah. It wasn't even five years, Christian. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. I want to share really quickly the uh, cuisine and food upon which the band Nirvana were subsisting. Oh, my uh, gosh. Okay, three for a dollar corn dogs. And corn dogs already to me are just gross. I just, I I've never liked them. I don't get it. 
But this is, if you're listening out there, um, there there've been quite a variety of recipes that musicians have offered to us. Um, when <laughs> yeah. we get to Keith Richards, for instance, he's got one to share. Kurt Cobain had a specialty called shit on a shingle. <laughs> and if you want to make this at home, if you're thinking of starting the band, and you think you've got what it takes, this is how you make it. It's canned tuna, pepper. And here's the part that really fascinated me, Martha. I bet you had to reread this too, okay? I'll have to back up. Canned tuna, pepper, flour. <laughs> what? <laughs> and toast. Flour. What? I Does know. that to, to give it? To I don't even under what <laughs> I know, I know. I I'm scared to try that. I, I when I read that, I thought they must have been really hungry. Yeah, <laughs> because I just had I, nothing about that recipe. I, sounds appetizing. Right. None of it. None of it. I don't want to know like what proportion of each, but I don't even think it matters. <laughs> no, does it really matter? It really doesn't. Point? It really doesn't matter at all. Holy cow, that is that is really interesting. I'm glad he shared that. I'm always happy to read details like that. Yes. Um, yes. So then uh, Nirvana folds, and what's Dave going to do? And I I can relate to uh, not relate, but. I think everybody on earth can sympathize or empathize with, yeah, what, what do you do now? I mean, this has been taken away from you and you're unmoored. And, and on the one hand, you can retire and just do nothing. I mean, he can. He could have. He's got yes. that much money. Um, but he decides not to do that. And he, he kinda, he's offered a, a gig working for Tom Petty. Um, uh, but he turns it down. He I turns thought. it down. Yeah, because he says he wants to do his own thing. I always and admire that, Christian. I did too, because he could have just had it. He really, he could have had it perfect in the sense that I, I was the drummer in Nirvana. I'm rich forever. And I've got this awesome gig working with this high-functioning, easygoing band, super cool band leader, you know, easy, fun tours, good money, respectable music. And he's like, no, I don't want to. But then again, he had the money now to take the risk. I'm not, again, I, I, I thought right. that he did it. I, t- I, I do. I, I thought that was, you know, um, I thought that was good for him. Good for him. I always admire when someone just chooses the road to path their own, you know, their own he, way. And he, he does. He does. He tells a good story when you can imagine it takes a while to process and get through Kurt's death and what's happened and to get away. He tells a great story. I think he told on the Howard Stern show, too. He he tries to get as far away as possible. Oh my from, gosh! From that world, and he goes to Ireland, which a small is, town uh, in Ireland. Yeah, again, every every man's like bucket list escape plan, and some women, Montana or Ireland, and some right? women. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'm only speaking for men, so I don't want to. Right. And some women who want to go to the desert and so it he's all. <laughs> as far as he could possibly be, right? And so you know, it's like tiny village with maybe one pub with one employee, right, who owns it. Just the innkeeper. That's the only person that works there. (laughs) Driving on a road in the middle of nowhere. And he sees a a guy like hitchhiking slash walking down the street. And he's going to pull over to give him a ride. Yes. And the guy was the guy wearing Martha. A Nirvana t-shirt with a Kurt Kurt Cobain. Cobain, Yes. With Kurt Cobain's face on it. I cannot imagine what Dave Grohl must have felt in that moment. Well, he tells us. He tells us. I know. I know. But in a sense, you know what? I think that. It's funny that that might that could have been God's sense of humor. It's like you're never going to be able to get away from this dude. You're gonna and that's basically what he yeah. says. I'll and never get right away. And go back home and figure out what to do about that. And he yeah. does. For better or worse, he foo fights. 
He does have a really funny one liner where he says lots of times when he's walking around, people ask him if he's Dave Navarro. I thought that was really funny. Yes. Um, he tells us about a brief, I just thought this was really off-putting to me, not about Dave per se, but he's he goes to the um Cheryl Sharon Tate's house, the Sharon Tate murder house. He tells us about hanging out there because uh, Nine Inch Nails is recording their latest album there. Yes, Trent Reznor. And I just thought, well, this is what it, only musicians with egos do dumb things like this. You know, why, you got to go record it. Why? You're going to stick your... F- Assuming that there is energy there, you want to tap into the agony of this horrible event. It just it was such such bad taste. And only musicians would do something that stupid, I thought. Yeah, that to me, um, yeah, that kind of stuff just doesn't... Yeah, it's not my thing. Yeah, uh, I, it wasn't my thing at all. Like yeah. I don't. This doesn't make you deeper. It just makes you annoying. It's just well, those sorts of things to me are just so. Um, I don't know. It's a little tasteless. I think it's much more radical to go record your album in the valley. In, in <laughs> As they did. Yes. As they did. Yeah. It's more rock and roll. <laughs> That's right. And you know something? I'm I'm sorry. Uh, well, I was going to say, you know, Christian, I have to say that something changed in me. After having read Steve Jones's book, okay, um, and what changed in me was, you know, the way that he talked about, you know, there's often been talk about how the Sex Pistols were so fabricated, and that wasn't even all that real, and and all that sort of stuff, right? But you know, when Steve Jones talked about it in his book, he really says, you know, like I didn't believe half the stuff, you know, like it's it's all just nonsense, and I couldn't believe that people were just so into it, and there were people making rules that w- how what made you punk rock and what didn't, and that really has stayed with me. I have to admit, in terms of like that's not as original as everyone thinks it is, right? right. Uh, and so the one criticism I do have about Dave's book, whoa. easy after after this love fest with dave and dave i still love you but i do have one i do have one tiny criticism and it was the fact about how he's constantly talking about how punk rock he is right Mm -hmm. and he's and he's constantly like oh i'm so punk rock and you know punk rock a punk rocker is always a punk rocker and and i'm so this and i'm so and i thought look you are not as punk rock as you think. You've admitted to us, you know, kind of how silly and dorky you are, which is, it's all, I think that's cool. Like personally, the dorkier someone is, the more I think that that's cool because everyone tries to be so cool that when someone embraces those parts of them, I, I, that's what makes them cool to me. Um, and I thought just, you've already admitted that you are this other certain way and you saying that you're so punk rock all the time just doesn't make you that punk rock. <laughs> You know, and no. it started that that was the one thing that kind of started rubbing me the wrong way a tiny bit where I was just kind of like, because I kept thinking about Steve Jones's book, you know, and I kept thinking, you realize that it, that was in and of itself all kind of right. nothing. Right. It was nothing. It, it didn't yeah. have any real meaning. It was all, for lack of a better word, fabricated. I, it, I know. And that's what Dave Grohl's tattooing all over his body. Right. Corporate logos. That's what they are. Right, right. And he didn't know it. And Steve Jones could have told him, heck, hey, mate. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bandmate's wife just got bored and doodled that on a napkin. And you, you <laughs> right. tattooed that on your face thinking it's like some talisman. Right, it's not. right. It's, yeah. yeah, I hear you. So that um, was that was my, that's my criticism. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you for bringing out the acid. <laughs> Flinging it. I like it. 
Um, there was a super funny part where he reveals that he wakes up one day or at some point in the day and thinks he's having a full-on heart attack because he's got chest oh, pains. Oh, my gosh. And this was not, it's nothing will ever match Duff McKagan's 12 bottles of wine a day. No. Ever. But nothing. he reveals, because he goes to the to the doctor because he's having massive chest pains. He's been having them for days. Yes. And the doctor says, well, do you, do you drink any coffee? And <laughs> does the math. And he realizes he drinks five pots of coffee oh my a gosh. day. I that one I just laughed. I couldn't. I can't. After two cups in the morning, Martha, I can't. It just becomes like gross to me. I can't. My body's like, yeah, we've had enough coffee now. We're done with that. I can't imagine five pots of that. Well, imagine for someone who's a non-coffee drinker, such as myself. I don't touch the stuff, oh, and okay. to and to have read that he drank five pots of it. I thought, oh my God, it's, I can't even imagine what that is like. Yeah. I can't, I can't even either. imagine. And we have to tell our listeners, <laughs> Christian, that they run a whole range of tests. He gets CAT scan, he gets all sorts of things done. You know, he has to run on the treadmill, he has, gets a stress test. He gets all these tests done because they want to make sure that his heart is okay. And it ends up being that everything's fine with him. It's just that he is high on, Caffeine. Yeah, he's just eating batteries all day. <laughs> oh my gosh. And he sleeps like what, like three hours? A, yeah. He, he said that at that point he was sleeping something like three hours a night and yeah. drinking five pots of coffee. <sighs> I thought, oh my gosh. So, you know, we're right back to my original hesitation though, is he says he needs all this coffee because of you know his crazy committed schedule and all the work he's got to do, which is like this Foo Fighters song. Another like cover version with Butch Vig for some unreleased B side on some other album, and then another like weird jam band. I'm like, all of this is meaningless. You're, you you don't need to be doing anything. You have enough money, you could just do nothing forever. So once that has been established, all the stuff you're generating is just self generated. It's manufactured. It's artificial. You can't convince me you need five pots of coffee. Because you've got a home studio, you could just do this on your own whenever you feel like it. This is not an emergency. (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness. But it is. It is to him. It is to him. And that's somebody needs to pull him aside and go, dude, if you were writing music like of this level, maybe, maybe, but. (laughs) It's not, it's just well, not, his doctor, dude. his doctor tells him, his doctor tells him, yeah. okay, you need to like chill out because otherwise you are going to have a heart attack. If you keep going this way, you need to just relax and ease up on the coffee. Yeah. He just uh, puts it all in the heart. That must've given him the biggest withdrawal headache a week of his life. By oh, the way. I can't even imagine any of it, frankly. Okay. Of it. There are two portions of the book where I thought no matter what Dave is on a Dave deserve. I just. I was nervous just reading about it. I don't even have the words for the amount of fear um, I personally would have felt for, for two things that happened to him that he, that he does. That he just rises to the occasion to do. Both have to do with Paul McCartney. And I'm just going to mix the two if that's okay with you. Oh, the first is he's invited to the again of the White course. House. I guess he's got a parking space there at this point, right? <laughs> 
And he's invited because <laughs> Paul McCartney's being honored, of course, which, you know, he's Paul McCartney. And they ask Dave Grohl, again, I don't how how, how Dave managed to rise to the upper echelons to become this black belt rock god, I don't get. But he's tapped to play band on the run. And in front of the president of the United States, okay, right. but and also in front of Paul McCartney. And he, mista- he mistakenly thinks Paul's going to be playing it with him. Yes. So they ask somebody, well, where's Paul going to stand? They go, no, no, yes. no, you're, this is for Paul McCartney. He's just going to be sitting there watching. Six feet away from you, they tell him. In the small, intimate room in the White House, it's televised. And Paul McCartney, who's just the one of the most singularly talented musicians who've ever walked the earth and who wrote the song, is going to watch you sing it. I can't imagine that and level of, I, of stress. <laughs> I cannot. That is a nightmare. No, I'm serious, Martha. That is a nightmare come to life. And the way I, I immediately went to watch the video. And I got to say, he pulled it off. He, I thought for sure he's going to crack. It's a hard song to sing when it shifts over to the chorus. Well, and, and he says that. He says that, that he was scared because it's a difficult song to sing. He does say that. And he he looks relaxed and he doesn't make a mistake. I, my hat's off to you, Dave Grohl. Oh, really you is. see, you I mean, do like Dave. Yay. I respect Dave's, <laughs> Dave's. I think down deep inside, you loved him as much as I did at the end of the of the book. No, I didn't because <laughs> he's just still smoking weed and smoking cigarettes constantly. I'm like, you've got a family and kids. You're still smoking Marlboro's. So it just, I don't know. There was just an element and edge that I felt like he didn't under- seem to understand was present. I, I, it I get was that. getting in the way I a little get bit. That. I get that. Overall, yeah, I mean, he seems like a really nice guy. I think he, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see like at, at dinner. But I'm sure he'd use the word dude all the time. We wouldn't even be aware. Like, dude. Oh, dude, yeah. Bro. I wouldn't like that. And I, yeah, I would see. I think it'd be very quick, Martha. I think <laughs> my love affair with Dave Grohl would end rather yeah, rapidly. Yeah, very quickly. <laughs> you'd say, I broke my leg. I have to leave now. <laughs> 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 I'm not staying. Bye, Show does not need to go on. <laughs> I need the paramedics to remove me quickly. <laughs> okay, the second thing is even more, it's the single scariest thing I. I've read about that a person could do. He's asked to play Blackbird at the Academy Awards for the the portion of the show having to do with died. Right. Now, Marsh, that that particularly means a little more to me in terms of the level of fear, because if you play the guitar, Blackbird is one of the first songs you learn to play. Because it's both complicated and simple. It's like this. It's a piece that moves up the entire fretboard, right? And it's a, you're, you're just amazed to watch your hands do it, the way that it just bounces up and down the fretboard in this really beautiful way. That's actually one of my favorite Beatles songs. It, yeah, it is a gorgeous one. And yeah. it's, but it's a, Simon, to sing along to that, it's tricky. I mean, you've got the one hand doing its own almost melody. In counterpoint, you've got to sing the melody. And it's just you and the instrument. and to sing that in front of the the planet, right? I I would have taken a hard pass and said, "Me no think so. It's not going to happen." And he he does it. He does it. I went. To, I have to say, I went to go look for that on YouTube. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. I don't know why that is. Maybe I don't know what that is. But Christian, we should give a yeah. little bit of a backstory because I found the backstory to that him singing that very endearing. Okay, one of his daughters. Uh, wants to perform it at a school 
he says that they no longer call them talent shows, which I was surprised <laughs> yeah. about. But anyhow, I guess kids are Funny. just so kids are just so coddled these days. But anyway, they don't call them talent shows because there's no losers. You know, everyone's a winner. Right. Um, poor kids, they have a rough life ahead of them. <laughs> but nonetheless, they you know they're all winners, so they call the talent show something else. And so his one of his daughters wants to perform mm-hmm. uh, at this. I'm going to call it talent show at this talent <laughs> show and uh, none of her little friends want to do it with her. So she's very sad. And, you know, Dave says, well, I'll, I'll play the music and you sing. How convenient to have a rock star right. dad, right? I That's know. what I thought. I thought, well, she didn't Jeez. deserve to win. She didn't deserve yeah. to win that, that talent show, but nonetheless, well, but she did because everyone's the winner. And so right. she, um, so he, he plays the, the song and she's, you know, kind of scared and whatnot, but she ends up, you know, doing a great job. So uh, when he is asked to perform that at the Oscars, his instinct is to say no, because he's like, this is a difficult song. There's just no way. And I'm going to do it in front of millions of people and the world over and no way I'm not doing this. So his daughter comes home from school and he tells her, you're never going to believe this. They've asked me to perform, you know, at the Oscars and guess what song? And his daughter's like, well, what song, dad? And she tell he tells her and she says, we are going to do it right. And at that point, he had already decided he wasn't going to. Right. But he found the courage to do it because his daughter. His, his pushy daughter. <laughs> no, his sweet daughter was like well dad you gotta do it and so he does and that's how that came to be and he did what appears to have been a great job and so you know i found that and i have to say i think part of the reason that i i ended up falling in love with dave as much as i did in this book is it's your daddy's girl that's why yeah yeah yeah. and he and he talks so lovingly about his daughters like that time when he He's going to be doing a concert and... Well, okay. Yeah, let's move on to that then because the two are related. Yes. And that was another example of what was just off. I didn't care for it. Go ahead. Tell people. (laughs) Well, he has a concert and the annual father and daughter dance at his daughter's school is happening. And he just hasn't missed a single one. And this one is especially significant because... Uh, it's not just his uh, eldest daughter, but his youngest, who's going to be going to this dance for the first time. And she's always wanted to go with him and his other daughter. And so what he ends up doing is he ends up just telling his manager, I, I can't do that show because I have to, I made a promise to my daughters and I'm going to take them to this father daughter dance. And he ends up. They end up shifting the date, right, Christian? Like they end up moving the date to another date with another concert that he has, or something like no, that. No, they don't. What did they end they, up doing? They no. Well, so oh no, he doesn't. Is- they don't. They don't. He ends up. They find a way where he flies back here to L.A. It's ridiculous. And then he goes <sighs> back to and okay, Christian, I have to. These admit, are all nonsensical problems. Yes, yes, and I have to admit because he does all of this in order to make it to the dance and then make it back in time for the concert so he can please some foo fighter fans <laughs> but but i have to tell you that i thought i a part of me was just like oh my god that's that's a lot but by the same token i mean i will always say this 
the relationship between a father and his daughter is unlike anything. And when your dad shows you that kind of love, it's irreplaceable. And so I thought, oh my gosh, his daughters are so lucky to have such a loving dad. And how can you possibly dislike someone that does that? And by the same token, you know, who is so devoted to his fans and so uh, dedicated to his craft that he's like, I'm not, I'm going to do all of it. I'm going to do all of it. And sh we should add, he gets food poisoning on the way back to, I think it's either Australia or New Zealand. Yeah. You're leaving out that it's Australia. He has to go from yes. Australia to LA yes. back to Australia again. Yes. That was again, nuts. Martha, that was nuts. It's not, it's not surgery. <laughs> it's not, it's not, I know. it's just this, this rock band and he could have canceled the show. It's just, no, you know, honey, you know, we got, daddy needs to go back and get another million dollars from that gig. I don't, I don't, he made it, yeah, he told the story like high stakes and I had to get back and time the flight just right to get there. And then when I arrived, I was woozy because I hadn't slept in 20 hours and I could barely stand, but still I did it. And then I ate the Caesar, chicken Caesar salad that got him all sick. <laughs> that's what got him sick. Yeah. yeah. And then he gets food poisoned. God, that sounded horrible on the flight back. He's got, oh he my gosh, that sounded terrible. He showed up to his daughter's dance. How about you just stop touring, dude? No one is forcing you to do that. That's why the problem you're telling me about, like, oh my God, how do I... He made it sound like it's one of those heist job movies, you know what I mean? Where everything's gonna be timed so perfectly. <laughs> well, that's what he's like, made it sound like. like. That's what he made it yeah, sound like. Yeah, it's not. It's like, it's an artificial problem of like a positive and a positive. I know. You know, it's not like the government is forcing it or so, it's just, you. this is your rock star his man. His dedication to his craft, Christian. His craft. <laughs> the, his dedication <laughs> to his artistry. <laughs> oh my what? God. What? Oh man. <laughs> I got. I must make it back to the concert. And then he's telling the story about the food poisoning. It got me so sick. I didn't know if I could go on. So the doctors came and shot me up with all these different syringes IV and liquids. And a pill I, yeah, and pills a and powders. And finally, they told me to drink this and eat that. And I didn't know if I was going to make it. And they changed all the blood in my body and replaced my kidney and built me a new one. <laughs> but I had to get up there. I, had, I couldn't let the fans down. And it was one of the greatest shows of my life. It's just stupid. Just stupid. <laughs> I had to give him my corporate logo. <laughs> but but you know what? It's like, what are you talking about? You crazy man. <laughs> but you know what, Christian? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. At the end of it all, I have to admit something. Okay, this is maybe my second criticism of Dave Grohl. <laughs> okay, phew. What? I think that maybe he's read a lot of superhero like comic books or something because so much of the way that he retold, like he retells some of the stories <laughs> has that sort of like, I came to save the day kind of thing. Right. I mean, I thought maybe he took inspiration right. from comic books. I don't know, but there was yeah. an element of like, and My then back was against the wall. <laughs> All the chips were down. Battered and bloodied and bruised. Yes. It wasn't looking good. But surrender's never been in my vocabulary. Not when <laughs> it comes to rock. That's, that's basically what he says. He does. You know, he says surrender's yes, not in my vocabulary. Basically, he does say that. But I will rock you no matter the cost. <laughs> <laughs> I will rock you with Everlong. Yeah. Right. I will be your hero. To bring rock and roll to you 
the merchandise booth is outside if you need a t-shirt. <laughs> 30, what is it, 40.99 for your yeah, t-shirt. I will bring my Rick Astley cover oh to you. God. Let's talk about that. Let's talk no, about No, I don't really want to. All I, I have to say is Rick Astley came out and they did a he's always he has he's had like a million people come out on stage. It's he just, was just it's not even poor Rick Astley, he was just kind of hanging out. Right? Yeah, I know, like, hey. I felt bad. <laughs> hey, do you want to do this, Rick? And he's like, It's life uh, or death, man. You can't let these people down. They really need to know you're never gonna give them up. He's like, okay, okay, I guess so. I didn't know it was that important. I didn't know. It's important, man. One of these people here might be uplifted in ways you don't know about. <laughs> Are you ready? Can you do it? Can you can you fight the foo? Okay. <laughs> I thought it's a pop song. I didn't even write. <laughs> don't say that, man. <laughs> it all comes from the same music God that we're here to worship and celebrate. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Get out there, Rick. Or else I'm going to give Wait, you up. <laughs> is that is that Huey Lewis behind you? Huey, we need a harmonica solo. We need a toy harmonica. We've <laughs> you got to come tell, out here. We've got to tell that story. We so just did. He <laughs> dragged Huey Lewis out, the poor guy. I got a harmonica. I just found it. I found it. The music store is about to close, but I no, ran there. No, no, no. It, it, it wasn't even who, it wasn't cares? even a real music store. It was a toy store. It, <laughs> it oh, was yeah. a toy store. They couldn't all the shops were closed. Right. It was like on a Sunday night and everything was closed. I'm, and they end up getting because you know, oh, he, wow. he asks Huey Lewis, like, hey, do you right. want to come and do a harmonica because I guess he had done it with someone else and he's like, Well, I can't be left out. Can you come mm -hmm. and do this? You, you know, can, can you come and play the yeah. harmonica? And so he says, Sure, yeah, I've got you got a harmonica. And they didn't. So one of the band members right. or one of the Ooh. crew members goes looking for a harmonica. Right. And the only thing they could find was a toy harmonica. But hey, right. there's no stopping Huey Lewis. No <laughs> stopping Dave. He's like, I melted the fillings in my teeth that make this harmonica for you. <laughs> I had my doctor backstage do it really quick and I can barely feel my face, but the show will go on and you will rock with our harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready? Oh my God. Are you ready? It's like, Dave, are you aware this is not World War II? What are you talking about? Every every day it's World War II combat to bring rock and roll. Oh, But you know what? I think that if I hadn't liked him as much as I did in this book, all of that would have annoyed me to no end. But <laughs> it just annoyed me a can, little. Can we just have a tuna sandwich? No. There's too much at stake. What? I've got to go jam with my super group out in Encino. Okay. Oh, well, man. I can't be late. I think they're not going to mind, but I will. <laughs> I'll take a helicopter and get there and avoid the yeah. traffic on the 405. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Nothing's going to deter Luckily, me. I landed and we rocked. <laughs> Stupid. Every story, for those of you who have not read yeah. the book yet, many of the stories are like that where it's like and i came and I yeah came. this guy should be an actor because they say you should always make everything high stakes in every scene and this guy does whole you life. Know, <laughs> yeah when he's tuning his guitar it's like, like oh oh gotta get it <laughs> oh my goodness oh dave <laughs> 
on this. I want to be, I want to be friends with Dave. I want to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> Don't him. give this man a firearm under any circumstances. Well, I just think that he is just, you know, he's We need to send him to Afghanistan or wherever. No, he's he missed is, his calling. He is definitely passionate. I mean, you, it's undeniable. The man is a passionate person everything is intense yeah. everything is like a hundred you know everything is just uh it's big everything is big but it's sort of it's sort of it's sort of it is it, it is it's big. for him for him you, you also left out do you know where his daughter's super expensive private school is located in the valley in the valley yes in the valley wasn't it in the uh, valley san fernando yes valley. the san fernando valley i think i know which one it is actually oh really I used to live near it. Well, I, I, I remember your time in the valley, which you should have yeah. never have left, Christian. I mean, I, I hate to t- I, I hate to tell you, but I I need ugh, I need to go back. You need to go back to the valley. You can be you know real, real cool, just like all these rock stars. I will. Oh my I'm goodness! Cool. I'll make it life or death. <laughs> I have to get this apartment. You don't understand. <laughs> I have to go back to the valley. I know there are other apartments. So this is the one. No, this is it right here. <laughs> right. I've got food poisoning, by the way. I can barely stand up. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're saying it all like this, it's really kind of making me. It's making me just laugh at Dave in the way that I wasn't laughing. I was laughing with him. Now I'm kind of laughing a little at him. <laughs> are you aware my skull's cracked while I'm talking to you? It hurts, but I'm just not telling you. I went and got a tattoo, Christian, right. <laughs> in honor of Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know what it would say. I Just don't... big foo. <laughs> yeah. A big F. <laughs> big oh, F. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, this is, America. I think, the most popular man in America right now. I think so. Dave Grohl. I think so. The drummer who, against all odds... He, we're talking about him, and he is kicking off the season of Big Boys. I mean, he, we put him ahead, ahead of Bruce Springsteen. I'm saying we're, we're going to keep him surprised, no guarantee, but we put him at the start. We because did because there's no deg- no denying. Yes, you can't stop Dave Grohl. Nothing can stop him. Nothing. <sighs> unstoppable, Dave. Unstoppable Grohl. That's his name. Okay. Well. This was a, an exciting beginning to the first episode of our fourth big season. Big, big books, big heavy hitters coming down the pike. Um, um, and this was just an exciting way to kick it all off. Um, if you're listening, uh, five cups of co- uh, pots of coffee, that's what you need. You want to kick off your rock star career. Corn dogs, flour, tuna, pepper, and a cracker. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's the diet, folks. That That's is it. the That's diet real. right there. That's real. You got to basically go to AMPM. <laughs> That's go it. to your nearby yeah. 7-Eleven and you'll you'll get limit your, yourself yes. realize this is the extent of my menu. Yes. And I think the chemicals in that food hardwire rewire the brain and you'll produce rock and roll, real rock and roll. If they were good enough for Dave Grohl, they're good enough for you. Well, Kurt Cobain. And Kurt Cobain. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Martha, I think we've Daved Dave out. Oh, bye, Dave. I, I, bye, really, Dave. I really enjoyed getting to know you. 
Yeah, uh, um, he, he was uh, a friendly, friendly man. Very friendly. Yes, polite, very sweet. Um, very amiable dude. Thank you, Dave, for writing your book during the pandemic. Because as you said, you just can't sit still. Had to do something. That's right. All those pops, you, you uh, had, pots of coffee. Had to make another $5 million off this book. Or more. Probably. Well, I thank you for joining us. Um, um, Mike, I don't have anything else to say, but thank you for coming back. I'm excited about this upcoming season as we keep reading and keep going on this big journey. And speaking for myself, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.